ever find yourself in a situation you don't know what to do or face an issue or a person that you aren't sure how to handle? Stupid question, right? Who doesn't? Well, the Bible assures that you can know what to do in times like these because you have the mind of Christ. Let's talk about how to access it. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I'm Kyle Winkler here to shut down the enemy's lies. And I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Join us live sometime, will you? We'd love to have you. By the way, you're hearing me right now because of the generous support of our friends and partners. This ministry and all we do and offer is entirely donor-supported. Of course, our donors help keep the lights on and pay for bandwidth and video editing, all the practical stuff. But more than that, our donors are responsible for reaching people. It's about people. Sabrina is somebody who recently emailed to share how she's been impacted. She said, I am so grateful that I ran into your podcast a few weeks ago. In such a short time, you have helped me in standing with Christ and battling the lies of the enemy. Mm. Sabrina, thank you for sharing. You know, it's the joy of my life to do this, but it's not just me doing this. We do this together. If you say, hey, Kyle, I want to be a part of reaching people with you, then please, will you consider a tax-deductible donation. You can make it at any time at kylewinkler.org. And if you have a story that you'd like to share, let me know. Contact me through my website or social media channels. Okay. Let's start again with Ephesians 2.10. The Apostle Paul wrote, For we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. As I've said relentlessly in the last couple of messages, the moment you placed your faith in Jesus, what's known as your salvation, God did a work in you. He made you into a new person. That process is known as regeneration. If you've read my book, Shut Up Devil, then you know what I say about this. The first six letters of that word spell something that provides a good word Picture, R-E-G-E-N-E, spells regene. At your salvation, God cut out your old sinful nature. That's what the Bible says. And he infused you with his nature. This is what the prophets foretold so many years before Jesus, even though they didn't quite understand exactly how it would happen or what it would look like. You'll see it in Ezekiel 36, 26, among other places. God said, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. We explored your change of heart in the last message. Remember, it's a spiritual change of new desires and inclinations, a new inner self, a new identity. That's why I say that a Christian can and should trust and follow their heart. It's new, it's clean. It's good. It's of God. I want to talk about the second part of this prophecy, the new spirit. This isn't about like some new passion or, you know, something like team spirit. It's not a personality kind of a thing. 
our quality in that kind of a way. In the next verse there in Ezekiel, God says, it's my spirit, it's his spirit. And he says that coupled with the new heart, his spirit will help people follow his laws. More on that later. But people back in those Old Testament times could not have comprehended what this meant. First, because they didn't have a concept of God's Spirit in someone. It would have been unthinkable for them to imagine that humans could house the literal Spirit of God, that the imperfect could house the perfect. No way. Plus, when God's Spirit was with someone back then, he was only on them, resting on them, never in them. Secondly, God's Spirit never rested on common folk. He always rested on special people to give them power to do something world-changing, like win a war or prophesy a message or build a tabernacle or something. But the Spirit in people, all of God's people, I'm sure they comprehended that about as much as people in the 80s could have comprehended streaming music. Yet it came. To quote the great theologian, Dr. Seuss, it came just the same. Jesus told us something about God's Spirit in us. He described him as an advocate, as his representative, who would be both with and in people to teach and guide. Counselor is another word for him. Mentor is how I like to think of him. Jesus told his apostles that it would be more advantageous for him to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Now, that must have been just as incomprehensible as about anything else. But he said this because instead of being in one place at one time in the flesh, after his death, his Holy Spirit could be poured out. It could be in all believers all the time to help them know what to do, to help them understand the meaning of difficult things, to teach them, guide them, direct them, empower them, to help them know his thoughts or have his mind about things, situations, and decisions. This brings us then to something that the Apostle Paul said, which confuses a lot of people. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul said that we have the mind of Christ. Now, have you heard Christians say that? Maybe more in certain circles than others. Some might make the declaration, I have the mind of Christ. I make that declaration. And that's as true of a declaration as anyone could make. The mind of Christ is a part of what we received at salvation. But what does it mean? Especially considering Paul's instructions to the Romans that our minds should be renewed. How do we have the mind of Christ, but our minds also need to be renewed? Or what he said to the Corinthians, that we need to take our thoughts captive? Does having the mind of Christ mean we have the brain of Jesus? 
that a Christian's thoughts are always his thoughts? That's kind of dangerous, right? Because I know some Christians who seem to be a few fries short of a Happy Meal. And I'm sure you do too. Is that God's doing? I hope I don't have to answer that for you. Like the new heart, the mind of Christ is spiritual. It's not your physical brain. It's not even your actual psyche. I'll give you the answer right up front here, and then I'm going to take you into the context of this Corinthians verse so that you can see more about what it means and how to use it today. Having the mind of Christ means that God is in us. And since he's in us, we have access to his counsel. Having the mind of Christ is like being so close to a friend or family member that you know what they do or say in a situation because you know their character or you've seen them do it a hundred times. It's like, I know my dad. I lived in this house for 18 years. I've been around him for much longer than that. Somebody could ask me about my dad's thoughts on a certain subject or what he'd do in a situation. I don't know, they could ask, would your dad think that this car needs to be cleaned or washed? And I don't really have to see the car or know how dirty it is because I know that my dad religiously hand washes his vehicles every single week. Crazy, right? He does. But that's why I can certainly say that I know my dad would tell you to wash it, regardless of how it looks. I have his mind on the subject. Or, you know, if, if you're a good enough friend of mine and I invite you over for a game night or something, you will not have to second guess or worry if you should bring a dessert. In fact, if you're a really good friend of mine these days, you'd know to bring a four-pack of crumble cookies. You wouldn't even have to ask. But if you do want to ask, in the four-pack, make one chocolate chip, another Reese's peanut butter cup, throw in the chocolate cake cookie, and I'm told that I should try the churro flavor. So add that one in there too. You get the point, right? To have the mind of someone means to know their thoughts and what they do in a situation. When it comes to the mind of Christ, it's the same. He's in us. Plus, we have his example so we can know what to do. We're going to see this clearly as we read the context of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So let's walk through some of the major parts of it here. Paul opens his first letter to the Corinthians with an encouragement about who they are. He's always reminding people about who they are because who they are in Christ is their strength. You see that all throughout Paul's writings. That's what empowers us. In verse 3, he says here, God made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord. Then he goes through and he reminds them that since they belong to Christ, they have every spiritual gift they need, and that God in them will keep them strong and free from all blame, from guilt, 
from Shane. And despite everything that he's about to say here, and some of it is correction, but despite everything he's about to say, he doesn't put their blamelessness or their holiness or their belonging to Christ ever in question. Why? Because it's the good news. It's the gospel that isn't hinged on anything except faith in Jesus. But Paul got word of some stuff going on with the Corinthian Christians. There was a bit of chaos in the camp regarding different subjects. You know, it's funny because I think we modern Christians often look to the early church as kind of a gold standard to get back to. But read the New Testament letters. They were figuring stuff out. The Jews lived a lifetime of law and sacrifice and were frequently tempted to return to that stuff, which is why the New Testament writers always remind the Jews that it's belief in Jesus, not performance, not law-keeping, that makes them right with God. The Gentiles, they came from only God knows what, literally. A million different gods and ways to appease the gods. And you know, the remnants of a lot of that stuff took time to get rid of. So I say all of that to say that the early church had issues. So the first issue that Paul addresses is division among the people. They were getting into cliques based on different leaders, the personality of leaders, the gifts of leaders, the intellect of leaders. Some things never change. So he reminds them that it's all about Jesus and what Jesus did. Something that should never change. This gets us to chapter 2. Paul begins to address the idea of wisdom. Apparently, that's one of the traits that people were attracted to in certain leaders. Understandable, right? We like wisdom. But he tells them that human wisdom is fleeting. And that even the best minds of the time, the wisest, missed Jesus. So he says, don't be so impressed by the minds of men. Good word for us today, too. And that's when he reassures them about what they have in Christ. That they have something better. 1 Corinthians 2.12, And we have received God's Spirit, not the world's Spirit, so we can know the wonderful things that he has freely given us. Do you see the relationship there between God's Spirit and knowing things so that we can know, Paul said? Then Paul quotes, the prophet Isaiah in verse 16. He says, For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? That's from Isaiah. And of course, the answer back when Isaiah said it was no one. They didn't dare think to know the thoughts of God. But Paul said, This is changed thanks to God's Spirit in us. He says, But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. So just from these first couple chapters, we can recognize a few things about the mind of Christ. Number one, it's far, 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 infinitely far better than human wisdom. That ought to be obvious. Secondly, 
The mind of Christ is the counsel and the example of Christ in you. And third, at this point in the letter, he alludes to the idea that the mind of Christ can help you get free from the stuff of the flesh like divisions and envy. And later in the letter, he spells out more things having to do with sexual immorality and how to treat each other and even how to believe correctly. To Paul, having the mind of Christ is the key to exhibiting the kind of behavior in the flesh that reflects the real life in the spirit. He didn't say create more rules. He didn't say do more or do better or discipline yourself more. He simply reminded them, hey, you have Christ's spirit in you. So you know his thoughts on things. Let that direct you. This is even more fascinating when you realize that Paul wrote this to the Corinthians probably sometime in the early 50s. The first gospel wasn't written until likely the 70s, 20 years after Paul wrote Corinthians. So what this means is that they didn't have the advantage that we do today of having four books of Jesus stories to ask themselves and study about what would Jesus do or what did Jesus do. Of course, they had plenty of stories that were shared orally. I mean, the people were mostly illiterate back then, so they had to share orally, and they heard from real eyewitnesses. Pretty awesome. That's huge. But when Paul said, let the Spirit direct you, he really meant it, because they didn't have this book. They had to depend on the Spirit. So what were the thoughts of Christ that led them? Well, two things, actually. And we know this from both history and what's written in later New Testament letters. The thoughts of Christ that Paul's talking about are the same as the laws that we looked at in the last message, the laws written on our hearts. What other verses also say are written on our minds, inscribed on our minds. They are love and faith. You go to 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. He says this. He's talking about obedience here, which, you know, as I said last time, people get tripped up by that word obedience or obey. They automatically go back to the commandments. They go back to the law. Verse 22, he says, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. What are those things that please him? What does obeying him look like? Keep reading. The next verse tells us. Verse 23, and this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Belief and love. That's what the Spirit is in us to testify of, to remind us of, to direct us according to. And isn't that what Jesus did all throughout his ministry? He launched his ministry saying, repent and believe the good news. Repent literally, metanoia is the Greek word, it literally means to change your mind. So right at the start, he says, I am here to change your mind about God. 
to change your belief, your faith about God, to show you who he really is. And read throughout the Gospels, story after story after story after story, tells of the great lengths that Jesus went, sometimes shocking lengths, especially to those people back then. It tells about the ways that he showed that God is not mad, but God is love. Think about just a couple of the stories that they would have heard that we get to read in the Gospels, but they would have heard. Maybe heard from some eyewitnesses that saw these things happen too. Things that would have guided them in what to do and how to treat people. That the Holy Spirit in them would have kept reminding of them or reminding them of too. Jesus' healing of the man with leprosy at the beginning of his ministry is a great one. In those days, leprosy was a shameful disease. It was thought to be God's punishment. A leper was not to be out among people, and if they happened to be, they were supposed to shout, unclean, and ring a bell to alert people that there's a leper in their presence. Imagine the shame. But somehow a leper found himself around Jesus. Audacious. And he had the boldness to throw himself at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. That alone tells me that Jesus had a reputation, a good reputation that had gotten around pretty quickly if that leper had the boldness to do that to a religious leader. You can read the story in Matthew 8, and if you do, you'll notice that Jesus didn't deny him. He didn't accuse him. He didn't take any steps back. He didn't even flinch. He turned to him, faced him, reached out, touched him, and he was healed. Get this. Jesus could have offered mercy without touching him. He could have granted compassion without looking into his eyes. He could have healed him with only his words from a distance. Yet Jesus stooped down to meet the man at his level to touch him, to touch the untouchable, to look at the unlookable, to be in the presence of the one who was supposed to have a bell ringing if you were in their presence. But Jesus did this, and in doing this, he showed him dignity. He showed him that God's not mad. He showed him that he's not too dirty to be loved. That's a message that Jesus conveyed through nearly every one of his healings thereafter. The early church would have heard those stories and demonstrations of love, as I said. So that if they encountered someone that was diseased, disabled, or deemed too dirty or too different by the culture or the religious culture, they didn't need to wonder what to do or how to handle them. They had the mind of Christ. They knew from the example they heard and from the spirit in them that testified to that example about how to treat people with dignity, with love, with kindness, with compassion.
The story of the Samaritan woman at the well is another great example. Samaritans were despised by the Jews. They were said to have strayed from good doctrine and committed the great sin at that time of intermingling with other races. Add to that being a woman. Women weren't respected much at all in those days. They were definitely forbidden to speak to a religious leader, to someone like Jesus. Add to that, this Samaritan woman was divorced by five different men and lived unmarried with the sixth man. Again, imagine the shame. Yet Jesus went out of his way to talk to her, to meet her at the well, right at the height of her shame. And there he introduced himself to her. He invited her into the family of God. And then he used her to get her whole town to believe in him. And she didn't stop there. Church history says that she went on to bring so many people to Christianity that people considered her an apostle. They actually wrote about her in early church writings as equal to an apostle. Imagine that. Equal to an apostle, a woman apostle. That'll wreck some theology still to this day. But history says that she went on to even catch the attention of Emperor Nero, this woman at the well. So undoubtedly, the people that Paul wrote to in his letters would have heard about her. And through her story, they would have heard the heart of God, that his love knows no bigotry, it knows no boundaries. That God will pursue and talk to and use those of the world and church are so sure that he never would. So if they came across a Samaritan, or a Roman, or an Asian, or an African, or an Egyptian, or anyone else that was different than them, they didn't have to wonder what to do. They didn't have to convene a committee or a convention to ask, should we ignore them? Should we deny them? Should we welcome them, then try to fix them? No. They had the mind of Christ on the matter. From Jesus' example, they knew to accept them and love them and trust God with them just as they are. They had enough faith and love to love them as they are and trust God's goodness in their life to do what they can't do, whatever that might be. I could go on and on with stories of Jesus, of course. Stories of those with whom he touched and spent his time. Those that he called and those that he used. They all convey the mind of Christ about how to treat people. They are the things the Holy Spirit will remind us of. That he treated people with faith that God is good. That God is love and desires love. For friends and enemies, it doesn't matter. Love and faith. It's the mind of Christ on any subject. And love and faith are ultimately the bottom line answers to all the issues Paul addressed to the Corinthians, from envy and division to sexual immorality, to how to treat others who are weaker in the faith. Now sometimes, to be sure, it might be to love yourself so much in a protective way by loving people from a distance, you know, 
having faith that they are in good hands with God and don't need to be in your hands or in your company. Sometimes that's loving too. But you still treat them with compassion and dignity. Love and faith. And that's how Paul ended his letter. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, he says, Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, and do everything with love. Faith, love, love, faith. Now, of course, the people weren't perfect in that. That's probably why Paul had to send a second letter. But apparently the early church got the message at least. Scholars say that the verse in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he said, love your enemies, they say that was the most cited and shared verse in the first 300 years of Christianity. They got the message. Let me bring all of this together for you and me today. You and I have the Spirit in us just as much as anyone did in the early church. We know the example of Jesus, I'd say just as much as anyone did. I mean, we don't have the eyewitness accounts, but we have the written accounts from the eyewitnesses. Stories that all reveal his character. So we too have the mind of Christ about how to act and react. Of course, that doesn't mean we automatically think accordingly or do accordingly. We know that. Those in the early church didn't either. Again, that's why Paul had to write a couple times to various churches. And that's why to the Romans, he said to be transformed by the renewal of the mind. That's why to the Ephesians, he said to let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Like I said at the beginning, the mind of Christ doesn't mean you think the thoughts of Jesus automatically. Or have the brain of Jesus. It means that you have the Spirit of Jesus the counsel of Jesus in you, and you know the character of Jesus from the example of Jesus, so that you can use all of that, that truth, to inform your soul, mind, will, emotions, and your flesh. As Paul said, you have to teach your thoughts the truth sometimes. That's what taking them captive is all about. It's teaching them the truth. They don't automatically produce the truth. You teach your thoughts the truth. And as your thoughts learn the truth, so goes your attitudes and actions. They get transformed for the benefit of yourself and other people. So let me ask you, how might Jesus' example of faith in God's goodness and love for others transform your decision-making? or you're acting and reacting when you're afraid, when you've been burned or wronged or hurt, when you don't know how to handle that difficult person or that hot-button cultural issue. Well, those who don't know the gospel, the true gospel, those who don't know what they have, they'll look here and there, seeking human wisdom and opinion on the matters. They'll gather around people that all say some wise-sounding things, some logical things, some reasonable things. 
And some will say, oh, I'm so confused. I'm so afraid. Who can know God's thoughts on this? But we who know who we are and what we have, we don't have to get stuck in fear and confusion. For we have the mind of Christ. Yes, because of Jesus, we know that God is good and he is love. And so we can move forward in our decisions with confidence and peace. When we think or speak or act according to that. And hey, while we're on the topic of the mind, I have much more where this came from, or maybe this came from much more. I don't know what I'm trying to say there. <laughs> what I mean is that the way that I can help you beyond this message is through my four-part audio series on the mind, not specifically the mind of Christ. This is actually on your mind, more so how to let the mind of Christ rewire your mind and change your life. It's called Mastering Your Mind. In about two hours of teaching, I use scripture and science to reveal how to recognize and subdue destructive thoughts, then choose new thoughts to create a positive godly life. Four messages, rewiring your mind, guarding your mind, how to have a sound mind at a crazy time, engaging the mind of Christ in you. Through this Mastering Your Mind series, you'll discover how to take control of your mind to find freedom and peace. Download it instantly on four MP3s at kylewinkler.org mind. That's kylewinkler.org mind. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. Why would you want to miss a show? Okay, I'll see you next time.